Yes, um, hello and welcome to Cast the Pod Tale Witcher. I'm your co-host Dawn. I'm your co-host Aaron. And I'm your co-host Max. And today we're having a special bonus episode on the feminist film theory and the Witcher TV series. Um, Erin, would you like to take it away? Yeah, so I thought this would be an interesting topic um, just because during episode five, which just came out this past week, I talked a little bit about how important and refreshing it was that um, The Witcher is a show that's got a a woman showrunner, a lot of women on the writing team, a couple of episodes directed by women or one particular woman, Charlotte Brandstrom. And during sort of discussions about that episode, I ended up using a little bit of terminology like male gaze and female gaze. And I thought it would be good to maybe do a little bonus episode sort of explaining what that kind of terminology means and where it comes from and why it is so sort of interesting and different um, what The Witcher is doing both sort of in terms of the crew and what it's doing in terms of how um, the characters are presented and sort of the visual style of the show. So basically I thought I would just give a wee explainer of the terms that were used a lot in that episode. So those terms are sort of male gaze, female gaze, visual pleasure, and that sort of derives from film theory more broadly and also from sort of specifically from feminist film theory. So just as a heads up, you've probably noticed from the use of terms like male gaze and female gaze that a lot of this theory does derive from second wave feminism. So it's been used in different ways and developed since, but um, giving a fairly basic explainer version, it does take a fairly binary approach to gender and can get really heteronormative and skews pretty kind of white feministy. So like there are sort of other schools of, of thought around around this and other sort of theorists, um, like uh, Bell Hooks's um, idea of the oppositional gaze, which sort of addresses the sort of white feminism inherent to sort of the way feminist film theories developed and Judith Butler's concept of the feminine gaze, which sort of complicates the sort of heterosexism and heteronormativity of much of the work on this topic. But this is going to be really 101 level. So I just thought I would just address that that is a, a thing um, before going into it. And um, just as an addendum, I don't really have a background in philosophy or critical theory or film theory. Uh, my academic background is English literature and history. So this is definitely like an amateur's introduction to these concepts, but to bring this actually back to The Witcher, uh, to quote Fizigata, who is one of my very favorite characters in later <laughs> books, <laughs> do you know what university studies give a person the ability to make use of sources? So I have made use of some sources and in that spirit, try to forge ahead. Okay, I need some water after that. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was quite, uh, yeah, it's quite a setup. I know, but I, can't, I just like, I feel like I can't talk about feminist anything without being like, and everything is problematic and terrible. Yeah, you have to, I think if you're chiming on any subject, um, that is, shall we say, a hot button subject. You can, there is always a necessity to put forward the necessary disclaimers of, I acknowledge X, Y, Z. Let's <laughs> assume this discussion is taking place in the context of the acknowledgement of these limitations of the analysis we have please just you know <laughs> yeah and i mean yeah. we're all uk based so we've seen the risks of um shall we say not acknowledging the limitations of one particular kind of analysis especially when it comes to feminism yeah especially yes. because like the words that get used here are male and female yeah which is 
iffy, but yeah. that's what we've inherited from sort of the 70s when all of this body of work was developed. So, mm. yeah. Okay, so if we're talking about sort of the male gaze and the female gaze, we do actually have to go back to sort of the term that spawned both of those terms, which is just the gaze. And I was worried, G A Z E gaze. Um, so, I mean, we've probably all heard, because we're people who are on the internet and consume media, we've probably all heard the term male gaze thrown around a lot, but the term sort of the gaze is a lot older than that. And in the sense that we're using it here, basically derives from phenomenology and, uh, like phenomenologist and existentialist philosophy. Um... So when I was talking to Dov about this the other day, I was joking like, oh, well, you know, if you really want to talk about the male gaze, you actually have to go back to Sarge, but like, actually you do. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just a, like, can't believe how effortlessly you sailed through the word phenomenology. <laughs> I, I, I practiced it for that. Well, I was writing that tweet because I was st- sitting there saying it out loud over and over and over again, <laughs> because I realized I couldn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Kudos. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Right, so if we're going back to Sartre, uh, so in in Being and Nothingness, which was published in 1943, um, there's a phrase that he uses that's generally actually translated as the look, but it's the same concept as the gaze. Um, This is the idea that in like the mere presence or potential presence of another person, you start to look at yourself as an object and see yourself as you appear to the other. So it's like a really basic idea almost just the idea of being able to put yourself in another person's shoes and see yourself as you are seen from the outside. But the idea is that like, if you're aware of being observed or the potential of being observed, it forces you into this position of sort of self objectification. Mm -hmm. Mm. And this gets sort of translated into a bunch of different fields. In my field, I'm most used to using it in the Foucauldian sense, like Michel Foucault, in the sense of the medical gaze, which I swear this is going to be relevant, and the carceral gaze, um, which both are used to describe systems of power in which the viewer, so the doctor, the carceral system, exerts power over someone else through the use of sort of the look or the gaze, um, basically by observing and analyzing them. Mm. Um, So with that background in mind, that brings us to the male gaze, And this is a term that was coined by the film critic Laura Mulvey in her 1975 essay, Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. So the term male gaze, as she's using it, is drawing from that tradition and is therefore related to those earlier terms um, because it highlights the power differential between men and women in patriarchy. So in the context of cinema, that also means that cinema serves the visual pleasure of the sort of straight cisgender male viewer. And so at this most basic, this means sort of two things. One was that female characters are portrayed as objects of desire of the male characters and from the perspective of the male characters, but also that female characters are viewed as objects of desire by the camera for the visual pleasure of the male viewer. And then this is compounded by sort of the sheer maleness of filmmaking in general in terms of sort of the vast majority of mainstream directors and cinematographers are men. And, you know, I think we can all think of, like, a thousand examples of this. Yeah. So, like, everyone's favorite comparison point for The Witcher is Game of Thrones. So, when you think about how the women in Game of Thrones are portrayed, yeah. ranging it's, from even it's the dudes main... making media that they think other dudes want to see yeah. that they want to see, basically. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. 
And I guess to sort of complicate some of the heteronormativity of this a little bit, like, obviously, I've talked on the podcast, I'm bi, but like, I do not find in my personal experience that this like media that like men make for men that sort of contains a lot of these very attractive, supposedly very sexy women attractive (laughs) whatsoever. So this isn't even just about like appealing to people who are attracted to women. It really is about like a particular kind of trying to yeah appeal to dudes making films for dudes that I think will appeal to dudes, as you said. (laughs) Mm. Um, So and I think we can see what the Witcher is doing is very, very, very different from what Game of Thrones did with its characters, even though it's also like appealing for maximum sexiness in many places. <laughs> so, um, oh God, I've been talking for like twelve minutes. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think it is worth saying that like that all of the sorceresses in The Witcher, as depicted in, in, in like this TV series like are extraordinarily beautiful not just Yennefer but also like Triss and even like in her own way Tissaia like even though like that's, that, oh, t- that's like Tissaia not really is... like emphasized <laughs> but like there is something really like powerful about her kind of beauty uh, I can promise you that by Tumblr I can buy that, yeah. loves Tissaia <laughs> a lot <laughs> um, and I mean getting off yes. the sorceresses like and, Calanthe um, as well also like, Tumblr loves Calanthe <laughs> It's a woman with a sword. Come on. Oh, yeah. Sword girls. I mean, that was basically my, like, pick four women post, right? Like, it was like, oh, I guess I just like sword girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so having sort of discussed what the male gaze sort of means on a very 101 level, you can kind of probably put together what the female gaze means. But this is actually really heavily contested. I'm not going to get really deep into the debate, but there's like all of these arguments around whether the female gaze can really be equal to the male gaze when the entire concept of the male gaze kind of depends on unequal power relations between men and women in patriarchy. And can the female gaze be just analogous to the male gaze and refer to anything sort of filmed from the perspective of a female character for the pleasure of female viewers? And does a queer reading complicate this? Or we talk about sort of women who are attracted to women or men who are attracted to men? Or does the female gaze just adopt the voyeurism of the male gaze? Or does it disrupt the objectifying power of the male gaze? It's like a very complicated as everything in feminism is. <laughs> But the way I want to use it when talking about this particular piece of media is the way the show portrays characters So, in two, for two things. One, the way the show portrays characters from a female perspective. I think this is exemplified in the very first episode where when we first see Geralt, he's fighting the Kikimura and it's quite male power fantasy. And then it immediately shifts to basically only being perceived from the perspective of Morelka and Renfrey, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And so that's the first way I want to look at it is, yeah, the way that a lot of the time the characters are being observed from the perspective of female characters. Um, And then the second way is the way that um, the show's sort of sense of visual pleasure is um, appealing to female viewers and also appealing to the desires of the female characters. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's the theory... That, that was a starter for 10. <laughs> that was the theory part over. So remember when I said there's quite a lot to get through before we even get to The Witcher? <laughs> uh. I actually had um, oh, yeah. a couple of thoughts about that. Um, yeah. 
Game of Thrones, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I don't know. If, okay, th- this is just personal, my personal experience. I don't know if it's just me, but I don't find anything in Game of Thrones sexy. Like to be quite, cl- to be quite frank with you, like, like in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sixteen-year-old. Like, exactly. Sexy, right. Like, like when you, you see a movie yeah. for, the first, for the, time, the first time, that's it. Like the shit that happens in there is exciting in that regard, I guess. Um, I've, I've honestly like the, the Game of Thrones TV. Like if I, if I read the Witcher books far too early, like in my life, then I at least started like both reading Game of Thrones and like watching its TV series at like a much more reasonable time. That is to say, like I was, I think, seventeen by then. Uh, like, but. Um, mm. um, yeah, right. Like it's it's the it's kind of clumsy in that regard. I find. Uh, yeah, it's mechanically sexy. It's mechanically sexy. Ah, exactly. It is. Like, Here is some breasts it's like, and some gyration. It's, like, it's like where like the Whatever. fact that sex is happening yeah, I, is yeah. exciting, not per se like there's no like real emphasis on like the mm. eroticism, if you will. It's like you know in the room. <laughs> Um, by Tommy Wiseau. It's yes. sexy in the same way the sexiest in the room are. That is going to be the tagline for this episode in which we can play compare Game of Thrones sex scenes to the room. <laughs> no, you're, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong, am I? It's just a bit of like it's a bit of you're, you're not wrong. To be totally it. honest, I feel like I don't know if this is like anyone else's experience, but when I was a teenager. I did find even like extremely bad sex scenes in film kind of exciting. But it's because you're not used to it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you know. Um, so, but like, but but like, you know. Yeah. Exactly. It's like Tommy Wiseau type of sexy rather than like actual eroticism. Whereas, like the act that like the, the sexiest stuff in The Witcher, like probably the sexiest scene is mm. the one when they first meet each other, when he goes into the basement and sees her in the outfit, and that's like yeah. holy shit. Like her with the mask and the outfit and everything. That's like, ah, yeah, wow. just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and that's and that's, and it's like the way that is filmed, right? Like the eye contact and the looks and the like, the sort of like build up of this sort of desire between mm. them, and like exactly. that's what makes um, that sexy. It's eroticism rather than the mechanics. And right? and I mean, I will put in a word for orgy <laughs> happening in the background because I think this is. <laughs> I mean, I think that speaks to it though—the fact that that's not even like the focus, focal point of the scene. It's kind of incidental. Um... Yeah, and that's kind of there's two things I kind of want to put in about the the orgy in the background. Is yeah, one is that um, you're so distracted by like the sexiness of Jennifer's eyes, basically, and the incredible sort of eroticism of their their immediate connection, but then. The second thing is, unlike sort of the Game of Thrones sex position, where they were would literally just have people having sex in the background while Peter Baelish talked because he was just talking and it wasn't that interesting and they're trying to keep you focused. And then that sex happening in the background became what people talked about about the scene. The orgy does fade into the background, even though it is a lot. <laughs> um, the other thing is, is if you look, if you actually manage to tear your eyes away from Geralt and Yennefer for a second and actually look at what's happening with the orgy, first off, it's very interesting what's happening with it in terms of... It's like a cuddle party rather than actual sex. <laughs> well, I mean, well, actual sex is a contested Okay, so you know what I mean? Term. It's, it's, it's not PIV no or, you know, penetrative. Whatever. Yeah, there's no penetrative intercourse happening. There's a lot of cunnilingus happening. Like, a lot. So, like, that is definitely also actual sex. 
but um it's intimated rather than just there yeah and it's also i think you know appealing to if we're going to get back to the idea of like female desire and the female gaze you've got this whole sex scene that is all eroticism and oral sex and not any sort of penetrative sex which is yeah pretty interesting Mm. so it's quite female pleasure centric that whole Mm. scene which i thought was an interesting choice again female that episode in particular did have like female writers and it makes sense right like no stylistically because it is a scene demonstrating yennefer's power yeah absolutely like logically speaking makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um i think it is interesting as well how um you know you get not just one but i know these are jumping to other episodes but you get not just one but two yeah bath scenes with you get several bath scenes with Geralt, don't you? I mean, it's because, <laughs> get, it's, because it's mostly emphasised that he is a very he is a very unwashed man. Yes, I think <laughs> that, that is probably like a manifestation of female gaze. It's so right in the sense that like it's it reflects ex- like never met expectations from um, women that their that their that their boyfriends actually you know wash themselves all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is interesting that you know that obviously came from Witcher Three. That's why the first yeah, it's the a, first it's a, it's a call with his back legs to a very famous scene of the games, as, as we frequently mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah the very the, yeah. the very first scene of the but game. Also, to be fair, a, very, um, a, a similarly famous mm-hmm. scene in the books, which actually incidentally was cut from the corresponding TV TV uh, series episode, like the one with um, uh, Borch's bath yes. orgy. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, we can actually talk about that because we have a spoiler yeah. pro spoiler policy yeah, yeah. on. The bonus episodes. So yeah, there was one that was cut from episode uh, six, where Geralt and Borch and Taya and Vea have uh, an orgy. It's off screen in the books, which presumably is why it's But yeah, if we're going to talk about the portrayal of Geralt, one of the things that um, people actually, that, that gets talked about when we're talking about things being sort of you know, male gazy is the way um, the camera in, you know, other media often focuses on, on women's bodies. You know, the, the, the horrible sort of like toes upward camera sweep following every curve of the body, mm. that sort of thing um, that happens so often in films and television. They kind of do that to Geralt in this series. Like they're like immediately trying to portray him as being desirable and an object of desire. Um, just thinking about how often the camera, which this might not be something you guys notice because this isn't something you're probably <laughs> looking for, but very often the camera does actually do that, that pan to him and then sort of like <laughs> stops on his butt. Um, <laughs> um, so the, he's, he's often filmed the way that women in other media are filmed and is rendered as sort of. Yeah, an object of desire. Well, there's the scene with the sex worker in the bed, isn't there, where it does you kind of the traditional Bond mm. shot over a woman, except it's mm-hmm. over him as he pushes the blanket <laughs> almost all the way down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to make him that sweaty either. So, <laughs> thank you, Lauren. <laughs> um, and that, again, that scene, we talked about that a little bit um, when we talked about episode um, three, because that is sort of the first scene in the show that is a bit sex position-y, because obviously there's the, the sex scene with Renfri in episode one, but it is, like, super tasteful, fully... Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. 
like it's, it's really gentle and trippy as well. and very yeah. gentle. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. Actually, all of the sex in the show is very, very gentle. But that's the thing as well. Like this, the first sex scene, as it is, such as it is between Geralt and Yennefer, they're both fully, basically fully clothed. She just jumps on top of him and <laughs> like puts herself on. Yeah, him. and it's like played as being like light and playful and yeah, fun. even the music and everything yeah, like yeah, that. It starts yeah, starts playing. Yeah, yeah. So the sex in the show. Yeah, exactly. So the sex in the show is either like really emotional and really gentle, or it's like fun and playful. It's not. It's mm. it's never lascivious, mm. I guess. Like the one sex positiony scene we get is that one in at the start of episode three with Gerald, the sex worker, and even then yeah. they're not doing anything. They're done. With <laughs> yeah, the business they were doing. is concluded. And she's just sort of like, <laughs> yeah, she's she's just sort of hanging about, topless, <laughs> singing about his scars. <laughs> But so that's like sort of the one kind of gratuitous toplessy woman scene. But at the same time, it's in this scene where, as you say, he's like, you know, the bond shot on his sort of mostly naked body is that's is also happening. So I mean, that's like I think they're a fairly both, like undressed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So this like the show doesn't ever seem to do the thing where it's just like pandering to like, oh look, there's boobs. Because I know there's like. There's been discourse about Yennefer because of how much she's topless in like episode three and episode five, but all of the scenes that she's topless in are basically either she is screaming and covered in blood mid-surgery, which that's not, that's not topless for the purpose of sex position or sexiness, sorry, it isn't, and uh, in episode five, either she's topless in a scene where Geralt is also basically almost fully nude or is again in screaming invoking a gin which again that is more a i mean my view, i will say that like situation the, the uh, gin situation did make me raise an eyebrow because there it did actually seem like they were they 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 like didn't need to necessarily put that in because like she's clothed in the books when she summons the gin there's no like no inherent nakedness component to yeah to trying to imprison a djinn. So, like... Um, yeah. Though I am wondering if that's because they wanted to emphasize the connection I mean, to the, yeah. the fertility that, stuff. There is there is definitely, the... like, a lot of allegory going on there with, like, how she, like, draws a whistle on herself and so on. Like, that wasn't in the original, so, like, mm. they... I, I, can see, yeah. I can see the logic, right? Like, it uh, serves a purpose. But, like, that's the one scene where I could maybe ma- see an argument that, like, mm. this was nakedness that didn't need to exist per se but like that's uh, yeah it's more just that Mm -hmm. i don't see any other ones rather than that that one's unequivocally an example of male lazy stuff yeah i have like a personal sort of knee-jerk reaction to just want to like push back against like the immediate assumption that like nudity has to be yeah yeah for the purpose of the male gaze or that nudity has to be something that has to be sexy even because and I think they are doing a really good job of like divorcing yeah. nudity from sexiness in the mm. show. I mean like I think in, that, like, like several scenes um, like in most scenes where like Yennefer isn't naked literally for the purpose of sex like it isn't actually especially sexy at all. The moment where she's undergoing like what is essentially magical plastic surgery uh, is not exactly Yeah. So it's if anyone gets off watching that, that's actually concerning. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because one of the things that sort of gets talked about, again, sort of in the sort of larger discourse about portrayal of women's bodies is the sort of inherent sexualization of the female body. This idea that like a nude male body is just a body, Mm -hmm. but a nude female body is inherently pornographic is sort of something I think that scenes like that kind of push back against and sort of... Yeah, yeah sort of undermine that logic um i'm trying to think actually mm-hmm. um i guess you could again to use the same with the gym um i guess you could make an example that there's perhaps something going on there that is like slightly more about titillation in the sense that like just like from how she moves in that scene and stuff like like oh i found it more exorcisty than anything mm. Well, yeah, actually, like when the, when the gin like emerges into the scene, there's nothing sexy going on anymore. That's just like a life-threatening situation. It's more like earlier when yeah. she's like sitting on the bed, like when Yaskir awakes, and like how slowly oh, yeah, 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 she's sure. drawing like that symbol on like her belly and everything, and then like when Yaskir awakes, like how she, you know, it's it's ultimately not a sexy thing at all because she grabs him by the balls and blackmails him, but like. You know, mm-hmm. um, just like how she pins him to the wall, like how she yeah. walks in that scene. Like, uh, the, 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 there's, the, I mean, it might just be that it's fucking Adia Shawtra as Yennefer, but there's like a lot of just. Like, oh, <laughs> <with that. laughs> oh, no, 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 that is absolutely. Yeah, especially if you cut off kind of what's happening below the waist with the, the grabbing and the cut out the knife a little bit, it's just like, yes, you're against <laughs> the wall panting, which is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, like, there is definitely, like, an inherent sexiness to the way that that scene is and the way she's, like... St- yeah, yeah. In, the, in a way that is just... in um, that scene. Yeah. In a way that is... I could say is it appeals to me. I don't know about... Very appealing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, there's definitely something in, in the way that she is predatory she's moving like a predatory cat like that is how she is moving yes that was very yeah yeah, see that that's that's (laughs) the one scene in the entire series where i can really think that like like outside of an actual sexual situation nudity is depicted as like kind of inherently titillating but that's the only one yeah and it's also within a situation where she has all of the control and all of the power Mm. which is interesting like she's never like if, if we go back to like game of thrones almost every time a woman's naked on screen yeah. there it's because she's in a really vulnerable position it's daenerys being theoretically underage and being prepared to be sold it's i mean very many examples of it in game of thrones are just rape and loads and loads Let's of rape like... and even when it's in a non-sexual situation it's cersei being pelted with rotten fruit and being forced to walk nude through the city it's like it's, it's always it's always like the, some sort nothing. of like yeah. you know basically femicidal femicidal crime. The women aren't know? having a good time. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and then so like so even in this situation that we're talking about in episode five, like this is a situation where Jennifer yeah. has all of the power and all of the control and is a hundred percent in charge of what is happening. It's poor Yasker <laughs> who's in a bad way. Yeah, poor Yasker. Just at all times, poor Yasker. <laughs> <laughs> Our poor gormless boy. Yes, I am never going to get over that the O Valley of Penis line was <laughs> improvised. 
<laughs> and then she said, I think, and you know what? Props to Anya yeah, for keeping a straight like... face when he did it so they could actually use the shot. <laughs> but that is sort of one of the ways that like a, a queer reading can complicate this though, right? Because like, it's like, oh, well, this is like kind of the one scene where she's sort of like nude and sexy in a non-sexual situation. But like, as kind of we both said, like, I never found anything in Game of Thrones appealing, <laughs> but I definitely found that yeah. appealing. So it's like, it's, yeah. Um, so like, which, which females and which males are, is the show sort of trying to appeal to and like sort of starts complicating things a little bit. Right. I had something in my head and then Yennefer chased it away. Yennefer does that to people's minds. Canonically, she does. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, like, true. like, Geralt's entire first experience with her involved memory loss. I mean, it's better than what yeah. Chris does yes. to Geralt, to be fair. Oh, it's maybe God. worth mentioning, actually, in actually... the context of this bonus episode. Like, it has, it has a point. Actually, yeah, because we were talking about sex and consent and power. Yeah, yes, okay, um, so they have changed Triss radically which is in the show. That in the show, in a way Triss that I find very famous. interesting. Um, because for those of you who have like not yeah. noticed this in their readings of the books, because to be fair, it is mentioned in exactly one line and then glossed over as though that's completely normal. Or rather, Triss, Triss's internal monologue glosses it over as though it's completely normal. Yes, exactly. Is that yes. Triss um, once at a time when, uh, during one of Geralt and Yennefer's, as she describes it, many breakups, uh, seduced Geralt, quote-unquote, by, um, well, um, casting a charm spell on him, which is, by definition, a massive violation of consent. Um, she, yeah, she, she basically date-raped yeah, date him, um, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so she magically roofied him. And then spends the rest of that story. So that didn't happen in yeah. the story. She was like recollecting it while laying in bed one yeah. night and kind of getting off on it, which mm. is gross. And then she spends the rest of the story after that recollection, basically like physically clinging to him in increasingly distressing and ways. Repeatedly honestly. like trying to kiss him and like it's 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 messed up. It's like the most uncomfortable thing ever. And you get kind of a bit from his yeah, perspective like, that he's uncomfortable like, and doesn't I seem don't to know, know why. Like, it was done deliberately, Ugh. but like I actually think that like how Sapkowski writes it is um, while while it doesn't deal with the matter in the most sensitive way, but it at least reflects that Geralt is like really uncomfortable with this, and you can feel that. And considering that Geralt in the books is a himbo and will mm -hmm. sleep with any adult woman with a pulse, like. You know, that yep. says something, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Usually if there's a beautiful woman clinging to him, he is DTF. <laughs> so, like, it definitely says something that he is super uncomfortable yeah. with. with uh, this, even if he can't, he can't place why. And it's also she... I know it's yeah. not canon, but in the games, the games kind of acknowledge this because they acknowledge that yeah. she has a very abusive relationship with him because she immediately jumps the entire, on him. The entire plot of the first game the first is game. that she basically tricks him into thinking that she's the sorceress that he vaguely remembers having cared for in the past um, and, you know, establishes a relationship with him that he only interrupts somewhere between the second and third games. Um, like, off screen, mm. because somewhere, off somewhere screen. in the development of the third <laughs> game, I think the games finally realize yeah. that this this might be a little bit problematic. Um, 
and the thing between the first <laughs> and the second this isn't really a spoiler because it's if you read oh, in the codex at the start of the game so <laughs> it describes yeah yeah it's um <laughs> so it basically says in the first you can choose between going out with shani Tris. or with um <laughs> tress yeah i forgot the word um but no matter what happens in the second one you wake up next to tress in a bed and because it basically says no matter if you pick shani or tress eventually Geralt finds his way yeah, back into Triss's arms, is how it's described. gross, knowing everything. Ugh, gross. I mean, it's also super yeah. problematic because he fucked Shani the first time when she yeah, was like 17, uh, the, right? Yeah, the, the Geralt-Shani mm. relationship is messed up. Yeah. And, and it was already messed up in the books. Yeah. Like, do not approve yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I will say that, like... Fine, medieval world, seventeen, and uh, she seemed to have a lot of agency in that scene. But like, but also she's seventeen. But he's like a hundred. Yeah. 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 Like I get it, Shani, yeah. but like no. No is definitely the right word. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So like, mostly what I was sort of wanting to sort of do was just sort of introduce sort of those those terms because I did throw them around without any explanation in episode five. Um, though it's been cool to sort of get onto the, 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 the topic of sort of larger themes around sort of sex and consent. And I mean, given that, I mean, since we're pro spoilers here, that like reproduction becomes like a pretty big theme in like yeah, everything yeah, after yeah, the next massively. book. Um, hmm. I think it's really cool to see these sort of hints from the team that they're like really on board with like thinking about sort of the gendered aspect of, um, yeah everything that they're they're portraying um yeah and i think with yennefer's whole story in particular i think that's been handled yeah. so well in the show um in terms of her um relationship with um fertility and reproduction um making it about like her control over her own body and her control over her choices and about having to balance sort of motherhood and power and career which i think is really interesting actually because really recently lauren hisrick actually did a, a thread on twitter about her experience of trying to be like you know writers rooms are often yeah. quite male dominated and she'd actually struggled with infertility and had to have ivf um and basically was terrified oh. of losing her job on a different on a show she was working on a number of years ago mm. and then ended up having a really really difficult pregnancy and being sort of off sick and having to work from home for a lot of it and just sort of like talking about that fear of having to trade off you know motherhood and developing your career and power and unfortunately it all worked out for her and her showrunner on the show she was working on was great and everything worked out but like yeah i think that speaks to her really like, understanding experience that what's going on with jennifer yeah and i think, it, I think it's also really important you know like to note that like you know um like it's really good that um like a just less male perspectives being taken on the witcher because it is it is a franchise that um like like I will say this for Andrzej Sapkowski that I do think that like in a lot of in a lot of ways he is a lot less creepy in how he writes than a lot of old fantasy male writers. Um, like, and I really appreciate oh, yeah, that for sure. But certainly, certainly, like, um, there is still like some pretty like male gazy stuff going on even there, and definitely in the games. And like, part of that all stems from the fact that like you know The Witcher started out as a satire of Conan. Uh, which, you know, is the classic... Oh, like, right, I mean, it's the course. male gaze personified as a fantasy series, right? Like, uh... Yeah. 
Yes, to see your enemy driven before you in the lamentation like, of the women. Yes, like, you know, yeah. so, so many so many <laughs> levels of, like, toxic masculinity that, like, most people don't relate to it anymore. Like, um, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually... I mean, the leads Arnold Schwarzenegger oiled out his, you know, mind. Like... And I think that's actually something that's really interesting because this is something that comes up a lot of the time when women are talking about um, the the male gaze in sort of, uh, you know, superhero films. The Marvel films are terrible for this, especially the early, the early Avengers films. It's got, it got better later. They changed radically later. But the early Avengers films, um, you know, the way they, they were marketed, you get these <laughs> improbable shots of just like... Scarlett Johansson contorted in such a way that you could see both her boobs and her butt somehow. Um, Mm. And then everybody, but but then like people would say, oh, but like, how is that worse than the fact that the the male characters are all like, you know, super jacked up and like wearing skin tight outfits and everything else. It's like, well, and there's a difference. And I sort of. Well, it's it's the power fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like what I said right at the start of the episode about how like Geralt shifts from being male power fantasy and that shot fighting the Kikimura immediately to being sort of like actually quite a vulnerable figure in the hands of these women almost almost immediately in the next scene. It's, it's yes, it's sort of the Conan films are like that too. People would say like, oh, well, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, you know, completely roided out and oiled up and not wearing a lot of clothes. It's like, yeah, but that's not done to appeal yeah. to women. That's done to appeal to a male, fa- male power fantasy. Like the male gaze isn't just about sex. It's also about like how you see yourself yeah. and how you relate to the characters. Hmm. Not that I think either of you guys are super into seeing yourselves as <laughs> oiled up Arnold Schwarzenegger, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I think actually one of the one of the compliments I once got paid by um, when I partnered, she described me as being Sylvan. Uh, oh, um... that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, that's, that's really <laughs> so lovely. Signing, so you're signing up to like Tom uh, Hansen's oh, Army of Elves you. then? Um, redacted. <laughs> oh no, we've got a star as hell like, infiltrator. Like the definition that's given on um on what's it on Google for it is um a pleasantly rural or pastor sure. which to yeah. be fair is a pretty <laughs> accurate description of <laughs> given him from Perthshire. Still yeah. an accurate description of Perthshire. <laughs> so. uh, yes. Yes. Um there are others I could use that I'm allowed to use. Um uh, but I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Perthshire is lovely. It's I can't fine. say I've been, but I'm sure it's lovely. It is in the autumn. It, it's best viewed in the autumn. Um, uh, very golden and brownie and watery. Maybe I'll be allowed out of the house by autumn. <laughs> Go have a look. Oh God. <laughs> oh yeah, this is our we this is our second stuck. quarantine bonus episode. Yep. We are what six weeks in now. Yeah, it is the 10th of May. Please, we are still please, inside. Please, 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 help. please end the violence. Please help. Or like send care packages or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think that's largely what I wanted to say. I don't know if you guys have any concluding No, thoughts. I think it was a... Uh, yeah. We covered a lot of the stuff that we'd alluded to yes in previous episodes but not overtly gone into in i have like maybe detail. just like one thought yeah. like, it's not really like directly related to, to the witcher i like i so i don't know if we'll if like if we'll be able to find any sort of point of comparison that like justifies keeping it in the episode you know like mm-hmm. how shows are tailored to men um i've been thinking lately like i've been recently like watching arrow mm-hmm. uh, or rather, like season two of arrow because i've like seen season one before 
Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. um, so I am a hopeless romantic, so I quit the show and wasn't able to go to go back to it after they broke the main character up with like uh, my preferred romantic partner for him. Which that show, mm-hmm. like in you know <laughs> typical like superhero storyline style, I can see that like it visibly did that because it's like planning to cycle through at least a few other like you know conventionally attractive women in the main character's vicinity as romantic partners. Like and like I had like mm-hmm. had thoughts about how just mm-hmm. like like a lot of shows that are like made for men kind of do that, right? Like where. It's Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend of the week, and they're all supermodels. Yeah, yeah. Like they never, they never, <laughs> they never fucking like. There isn't, there isn't like the usually like there isn't The Witcher like a very clear canon pairing for the main character. They basically give mm-hmm. him a harem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know about other people, but like personally, I find that frustrating. But like, I think I think the worst, the the worst man though. To be fair, well, in, the, yeah, uh, that's not. Oh, I never watched How I Met Your Mother. I watched like two like, Basically, that and... idea, right? Like, yeah, I watched like two episodes and found it super frustrating. Even though yeah. I love Alice and Hannigan, so I was just like, no, it's not happening. It's a very frustrating show. Oh yeah, because it turns out it's Robin, right? The ending's yeah, even worse. The yeah. original ending that they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they originally shot a really nice ending where, like, she sort of, she gets she gets better, Party. and then Robin and yep. what's his face get mm-hmm. back together. And they fix it, and it's all nice, and it's really quite thoughtful and sweet. But instead, they go, "No, we this character who we've built up the entire series to him meeting and falling in love with, we'll top her off, and then get him get back together with Robin, and then Robin and what's his face uh, Barney split up, and that's, that's the end of it. He goes back to being a horrible womanizer, and that's let's that. Not get back is... in, let, let's not even get back into yeah. how about your mother discourse because like. <laughs> Everyone has already discussed everything there is. There is. Yes. Everyone has come to the conclusion that the ending was terrible. Yeah. Which. Yes. This only absolutely. speaks to how good the ending of The Witcher is. Geralt makes his. He makes his errors, but he finds he finds his way back yes, to exactly back to the moon he's supposed yeah, to. Yeah. Spoiler be. for the yeah. actual end of the actual books. It works out. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they like they like don't tease us. Otherwise, they make it clear right from the outset that like and like Geralt there's no choice. He made a wish, me. and I think anyone who reads yes, sorry, that's fake yeah. now. Anyone who reads the first, <laughs> you know, anyone who reads the last wish can make the guess that the wish was that they live happily ever after. So it's just like that is what it is. It's magic. It's happening. No questions. It's <laughs> a fairy tale. The Witcher yes. is a very prolonged. Fairy yeah, tale. though there is you know what's. Yeah, but it's a nice one. It was interesting to to the only one thing that about bringing up how I met your mother that was interesting was thinking about how they fridged that character though, because we don't as much as Renfrey gets killed, it isn't just in the service of Geralt's plot. She has like a complete story of her own that really could only end one way because of choices she made. Mm. So yeah, so even though we have yeah. like a yeah, an female character it. who he has sex with killed to further his trauma she isn't killed for man pain like she has a full arc and it is her choices and her sort of tragedy and her character flaws that bring her to that point yeah and it's not inconsequential yes. she is still there Geralt haunting him decades. in the last minutes of the last <laughs> episode yeah so like yeah that is i thought quite well done i think that was like largely kind of what i wanted to cover um thank you for once again listening to me just ramble about feminist and queer stuff 
that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Miloslav Kolar. And you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher Cast. And you can email us at castapodtierwitcher at gmail.com. See you again next time. <laughs>